This is Minds Worth Meeting from Stern Strategy Group, a podcast where we talk with some of the top thought leaders in the world, from business leaders and technology analysts. The way we interact with devices and our technologies is, is becoming conversational. It's becoming perceptual. It's becoming relational. To academics and researchers. There's nothing inherently good or bad about influence. Manipulative people can use influence. And great people with great ideas can use influence. And it's similar skills that we need to make the things happen and bring people on board. We welcome a new Mind Worth meeting in each episode. Here you'll find accessible, down-to-earth conversations about some of the most important topics of the day with the experts and leaders who are the top authorities in their fields. And now, here's Mind's Worth meeting. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Minds Worth Meeting. I'm Kenny Conrad from Stern's PR and Thought Leadership team. And I'm Justin Lewis from the Stern Speakers and Advisors team. In this episode, we'll look back on our season of inspirational conversations with powerful women. Here's our colleague Whitney Jennings to kick things off. Thanks, Justin. In the debut episode of Minds Worth Meeting, we spoke with Yale School of Management professor and persuasion expert Zoe Chance, author of Influence is Your Superpower. Here, she explains more about her expertise. My very strong belief is that what stands between us and doing all of the things that we want to do and having the impact that we want to have is our ability to influence and persuade other people. This is something that when we're tiny, we're born with it. It's in our DNA. And small children are incredibly influential. But then for almost all of us, at some point during our formative years, these well-intentioned parents and teachers train us to play nice and play small and not take up too much space. And we end up holding ourselves back And we also, a lot of people that you and I work with, um, end up developing good student habits Mm -hmm. where we we work hard and we wait to be recognized and rewarded. And we don't think, we just don't realize that we actually have to also be advocating on on behalf of ourselves and other people. Next, I asked Zoe about how influence can be used for good and not in a way that seems manipulative. It can absolutely feel and be manipulative there's nothing inherently good or bad about influence it's like power and you could think of it like electricity Mm -hmm. and it could turn on the lights in a school or power an electric chair Mm -hmm. and there's no valence positive or negative to influence but there's a lot of problems that happen when we focus on the negative side because then we feel like we shouldn't be part of it and we shouldn't have it, and we shouldn't do it, rather than saying manipulative people can use influence, and great people with great ideas can use influence, and it's the same similar skills that we need to make the things happen and bring people on board. So I'm really hoping and and working on shifting the way that we think and talk about influence to be something that people of good character and good intent can do to make great things happen. In our final clip, Zoe talks about the goal of influence. Is the end goal to change people's minds? When you talk about changing minds, if you need to or want to influence somebody's thinking, sure, that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. 
it is the hardest thing to do compared to influencing somebody's behavior. And the mistake a lot of people make is thinking in order to change their behavior, I need to change their mind Mm -hmm. instead of understanding actually, first of all, their behavior may be a lot easier to change than changing their mind. But secondly, it is easy for many of us to think I want to influence all the people who disagree with me, right? right? Rather than if there's some topic or issue or project that I care about, where I should really focus the low-hanging fruit is people who are already interested or open-minded, activating them to take action and influence their behavior. And then when you need to try to change someone's mind, to have the respect to acknowledge, you don't want people to change your mind. They probably don't want you to change their mind, and you're probably not going to succeed. In our next episode, we sat down with Randy Kaplan, Variant Advisors Leader of Marketing and Business Development who gave her thoughts on the overall landscape of professional services marketing. Professional services marketing today, it's it's reputational. Certainly it's digital, um, depending on who you're selling to. It could be, you know, a lot of digital marketing. Um, Mm -hmm. We used to send things out by mail and one of anything does nothing. That was always my my motto. You really need to hit people five times today in a way that interests them and across different channels. So that's something that is consistent, but the channels have changed. Randy also gave her thoughts on what issues are most important to corporate boards right now and how Farian's role as an executive compensation consulting firm is contributing to those topic areas. The hottest issues for them in 2019 and going forward would be the environment, human capital management, and executive compensation. Kind of a trifecta that's happening in the market and continues to happen. Then in 2020, we looked at ESG. We called it stakeholder incentives because we felt at that time the companies were starting to look at the executive's responsibility for making sure that ESG, environmental, social, and governance, became part of their not just strategy, but how they were paid. And then in 23, we looked at the staying power of ESG. So the new report that's out is really terrific. And it talks about how more and more companies, more and more industries around the world are linking executive compensation to stakeholder incentives. And there are financial metrics that are being tied to it. And that's increasing because historically in the last few years, it was just strategic measures, which are not financial. They are a very small percentage of someone's pay. And we're seeing this shift. Randy also offered her thoughts on the use of LinkedIn in professional services marketing. Build a network beyond the, the walls of your organization. I think LinkedIn is a wonderful tool in that it keeps you in touch with people. One of the things that I pride myself on is I have friends and acquaintances for decades. And I keep in touch with them. And each morning I go through LinkedIn and I go, who, who should I send a quick text to? Just check in. Hey, I was just thinking about you. And the reason is that I never want to have to reach out to somebody when I need something. I want to be able to always reach out to just a, a friendly hello. How are you? And, and very sincerely, not, not, I'm not looking for anything. The other thing is when you do it, there are many opportunities to do favors for people. Don't make it quid pro quo. Really just do it because you want to do it. Have them pay it forward, but don't expect something back because that's, it's counterproductive. In our third episode, we sat down with the founder of Stern Strategy Group, Susan Stern. In this clip, Susan shares her vision for starting a company with strong values. What I really reflect on is how everything that I observed in my early years of work was incorporating what I really thought was right and fully rejecting what I didn't like. And 
learned probably a lot more from observing what I did not like. And from that, I had this dream. And I don't think I ever sat down and said, oh, I really want to have my own company. The opportunity came my way. And once I made the decision to seize it, I felt like I'm going to do this right. And we're going to have a firm that is strategic, that knows how to get the right kind of attention from the public that the client has to reach to be a healthy, thriving business. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do it effectively. And we're going to do it in a way that's always crystally transparent clear and meaningful. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't going to compromise. Next, I asked Susan about a topic that's on the mind of every business owner, about the lessons she's learned from running a business through recessions. I would say the first time that happened, you're not prepared for it. Mm -hmm. Things are coming along. Business is building early 1980s, mid-1980s. And then things start to change in the economy. And we had just expanded the business, and we had just moved to bigger headquarters, so we had more expenses. Yeah. And it was a very hard time. The lesson stayed with me that we can't control what we can't control. All we can do is have our actions mm -hmm. and make our choices. And to keep coming back to that was good for the self-confidence when you're doubting these difficult choices. Mm -hmm. And I felt that that stayed with me through today. Finally, I asked Susan what advice she'd give to leaders who have to make difficult choices. Be ready to call on your actions to think about your choices and do what's best. And by best, I mean for the future, because you can't allow yourself to wallow in negativity for too long. Mm -hmm. It isn't healthy right. for management, employees, clients, whatever. Right. You have to look at this thing, analyze it. Here's my choices, A or B. Mm -hmm and move on. Rip off the pen <laughs> and it hurts. I think the other part of it, too, is not having regrets. Mm. You know, because it's easy to look back and go, oh, I, maybe I should have done that or I could have done that. Yep. But no, because at that point, you only had the information you had. Right, right. You know, and to go back, I mean, my grandfather used to say to me, you know, I shouldn't have sold that piece of property. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. I should have waited because the market went up. We didn't know that. You right. buy a house when you need a house. You sell one when you have to. Right. It's hindsight doesn't get you very far, in my opinion. For episode four, Columbia Business School professor, choice expert, and author of Think Bigger, How to Innovate, Sheena Iangar sat down with Whitney. So I started by asking Sheena about the nature of choice and whether it's cultural, biological, or some combination of the two. I think we all share an innate desire to exercise some amount of agency over our immediate environment. Right? There's no human being, no matter where on the planet, in fact, there's no animal, no matter where on the planet, that would welcome the opportunity to be locked up behind bars. Right? We, we don't like that. We all react negatively when a choice that we've gotten used to is taken away from us. 
So those are things that are clearly shared. Everything else about choice, like how many choices you should have, what constitutes a good and bad choice, how choices should be made, who's in the position to make a choice. This is all cultural. I mean, there's a these are things you're taught from very early on, uh, both implicitly and explicitly. Um, as you're growing up, by school, by your parents, by the news, by your political leaders, etc. Next, I wanted to know how much of a role choice plays in innovation and creative thinking. Huge. I think until now, we have always assumed almost implicitly that choice belongs in one bucket and innovation is a totally different bucket. And that's because... Mm. They were scientists from totally different disciplines that studied those two things, and so they never came together. But in fact, every innovation is just a new combination of existing options. Finally, I asked Sheena about brainstorming, something we're all familiar with in the business world, and why she thinks it's not a good way to problem solve. The problem with brainstorming is I say the problem and everyone just starts throwing out ideas and they start throwing out ideas prematurely. You know, you could just throw out anything and you're confounding the idea with what actually exists in the world. So you don't make a differentiation between those two. And so as a result, you don't know what's actually new, meaning untried, versus what's already been done. The more you're able to build on stuff that's already happened in the past, the more likely you are to have evidence as to what does work and what doesn't work. Another thing that happens in brainstorming is it's not really a great way to surface diversity of thought because whoever talks first, essentially that sets the tone because everybody's going to build on that person and they're anchored on that idea and so everybody's mind goes in a particular direction. Doing the simple thing of having people first think by themselves about Mm -hmm. what's causing the problem and what might be some solutions that you know work. If you just do that simple act and have each person think about it by themselves and then share rather than brainstorm, that in itself will increase the quantity of ideas by about three times as well as the diversity. For our fifth episode, I sat down with Narit Pisano, a licensed clinical psychologist and the chief psychology officer of Cognovi Labs, a psychology-infused emotion AI platform. I first asked Nareet the importance of emotion and being able to communicate feelings effectively. And that's where I really came to be very aware of sort of the power of narrative, right? And how kind of critical it is to be able to communicate parts of ourselves that can feel really unspeakable. And language is really one of the most sophisticated tools that we have to accomplishing some of that self-expression. And I'm kind of steeped in that work now in all different angles of my life, clinical work, as well as Cognovi, looking at the words people use, as well as the ones they don't use, right? So the sentences we speak and the ones we choose not to. I then asked her about the long-term effects for Americans and people across the world after struggling with the lockdowns and loss of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think the effects are profound. The experience 
that we collectively went through and individually went through, the loss, the pain, the isolation, right? That so much of that, it's not speakable, right? In some ways, we don't have the words. We're still processing. We're now, you and I are in conversation. We're going to try to put words to something that like we don't have the words for yet, right? And it's so unintegrated, undigested. And we're working in the direction of kind of integrating what this was, but there are no words, right? There haven't been. So on the emotional end of things, there's so much work to be done there in terms of integrating our emotional experience of what we went through, shutting down and then re-entering the world. Not to say that there wasn't a silver lining or a hundred, right? Like so many things that evolved from that time that we can sort of say were for the good or benefited us in some way. Mm -hmm. But becoming kind of aware of the impact of that experience and really tapping into that, sort of what it did to our emotional state, what it did to our emotional baseline, how that's shifted, what our expectations are now in the realm of work and relationships, right, and all of it. So I think there's more work coming. Finally, I asked Narit about the risks and benefits of the quote-unquote AI revolution that we're currently seeing unfold before our eyes. It's a very fast adoption, quickly evolving. Every day there are new technologies coming out and we, we can't keep up with them, right? And they can do tremendous good. They can also be, to your point, there's a lot of deep fakes. They can be intrusive and biased and they're reflective of our own biases and ideologies and perspectives. So to the point about guardrails, I think there are already many regulations and guidelines in place. I think there are many more coming. I was just hearing about a new AI law that potentially is in the works and coming our way. So I think in terms of a mental health backlash, yeah, we will be racing to kind of catch up with what this has meant for us and the best ways to apply this and and where we want to put some limits on it, which I think will be essential. But I do think, especially kind of from my stance within my field, that it can be really used for good. Our thanks to all of the guests who joined us for our first season of Minds Worth Meeting. Zoe Chance, Brandy Kaplan, Susan Stern, Sheena Iyengar, and Nari Pisano. For season two of Minds Worth Meeting, we'll be talking with some of today's most influential technology and innovation voices. Here's Justin to tell you about our kickoff episode. Thanks, Whitney. In season two's first episode, I'm joined by tech investor and journalist Azim Azar, author of the award-winning book, The Exponential Age, and its ongoing companion newsletter, Exponential View, Azim was named to the 2022 Thinkers 50 radar list. He's moderated multiple tech-focused panels at Davos, and he's a co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on the Future of Complex Risks. Azim is truly one of the world's top emerging technology experts. That conversation is next time on Minds Worth Meeting. Minds Worth Meeting is a production of Stern Strategy Group. Our hosts are Kenny Conrad, Whitney Jennings, and Justin Lewis. Alan Halimsky is our video editor. The production team includes Alyssa Bauer, Kaylee Heverin, and Meg Virig. Whitney Jennings is Stern Speakers and Advisors Marketing Manager. And Brandon Pantano is our Digital Marketing Director. Join us next time for another episode of Stern Strategy Group's Minds Worth Meeting, streaming on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.